HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Fair Kitchens. Learn about the Fair Kitchens code and join the movement at fairkitchens.com. This episode is brought to you by you. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member today. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Southern T. I'm Greg Benson. Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm great, man. How are you doing? I'm great. We're going to be recording today uh, sort of live from the future. From the future. Yeah, we normally are a live radio show, but today we're going to record one, uh, uh, and we're in, uh, in, in Brooklyn. What, what neighborhood are we in Brooklyn? We're in, I actually looked this up. This is Borum Hill, which is not a neighborhood I think too much about. Um, but yeah, we're right down the street from uh, from Grand Army. Should we say where we are? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're in the back room of Clever Club, and it's the future is beautiful in here. It's great. I'd actually never been here before, but it's a very lovely, classy place run by lovely, classy people. Shocks me. Now I can't wait to go here. back. It's kind of shocked me. It's one of those. It's it's one of those things that has perpetually been on my to do list, but I'm never in. Borum Hill, the neighborhood that I didn't know the name of until I looked it up on the way over here. But so, have you ever been to Leanda? Also never been to Leanda. Literally across the street from here. I know. Also partners with Julie's is the Ivy Mix. And I, and I realized that on the way over here when I was looking up directions, I was like, oh, per- one-stop shopping. Now, I don't, now, now when I come here, I can cross two things off my bucket list. Yeah, it's, and it's easy. It's, you know, I don't know. I'm really shocked you haven't been here. Like crazy. But it's a beautiful bar. Uh, it's gorgeous. We're lucky to be here today uh, and uh, in our makeshift studio in the back room of Clover Club. We're hanging out with Alexander Gabriel from Maison Ferrand. Hey, welcome. Hello. Great to be here. God, you have such a great voice. <laughs> you think so? You got a face for radio. <laughs> He's just You're saying I look company. like shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you look dapper as fuck, as always. Um, and and I know that you know the, the listener doesn't realize that we're doing this at just uh, just around ten in the morning, uh, which is unusual time for for bar folk to be up and about. But you're here in the city to do a couple of things. Uh, um, one event here at Clover Club, and then you're going to go over and do something similar at uh, Death and Company later in the afternoon. That's going to be uh, amazing. Uh, but uh, you know, let's let's familiarize our listener with uh, who and what you are, like. Um, Give me, give me some of your backstory. I know you came to America at a pretty young age. Yes, I came the first time. Uh, I was 18 years old, and I came here to learn English. I didn't speak English at all. I didn't do much progress since then, so I apologize to the <laughs> listeners. <laughs> well, you got dulcet tone, and you got this great accent. I'm sure you get far with just that alone. Plus, you're a pretty charming fellow. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so you came over, um, but you, 
even as a youth, though, you grew up on a farm. I think that's going to be the run-through of your, your story, right? It's true. You're a farmer. Yeah, I grew, I grew up on the farm uh, with my grandparents and mm -hmm. six cousins bouncing off the wall of a farm, you know, uh, uh, growing, making wine, but also, uh, you know, uh, taking care of cattle in South Burgundy. And so, uh, yes, making also goat cheese, you know, which I still love when it's super dry and nice. And so that's my background. That's where I come from. That's pretty typical wow. of every American, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go up on a farm, make yeah. goat cheese, drink wine. Yeah, live in an idyllic sitting with an extended family. You did that, right? Yeah, we all did. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, this is completely uncommon <laughs> and unheard of, I think, for, 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 for the people of America. It sounds lovely, if I do say so myself. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like the word you used, idyllic. Um, so growing up on a farm, then you decided, as we said, to come to America to learn English. But that wasn't it. You came here to go to school as well, right? Well, yes. You know, uh, I grew up I grew up there in South Burgundy, went to school there. Uh, ups and downs in school, you know, not always. was either love uh, first sights with teachers and we'd be like totally drilling in something, you know, because these teachers were just good match or, or you know, sometimes really rough. Uh, don't take uh, authority very, very well if it's not motivated. It's just, you know, my makeup. And uh, so I've learned this in an early age. So I, I'm like, okay, what are you? You know, there's one person you have to deal with with the rest of your life is yourself, right? right so yeah. I knew I had to take care of this and try to do this right. You know, of course, you only connect the dots afterwards, right? And uh, I was like, you know, I don't speak English. I'm like this basically French redneck. <laughs> and uh, yes, I love making wine. And uh, and really, I should, I should. Uh, the only thing I can do is have my own little joint, whatever it is, and maybe a farm. My grandfather, very authoritarian guy, was still very young. He thought I'd be the next generation, but I wanted to get on with it. And so I just said, I got to, like, see the world. And to him, you know, a really father figure to me, really a mentor. He really taught me, like, you know, wealth is in the land. You know, I, mm -hmm. something I remember all my life is, uh, you know, when you work out, outside and so on, every weekend, every Wednesday afternoon, he always said, you know, keep something in mind, you don't own a vineyard, you tend a vineyard. Sure. And mm -hmm. I look at life really like this, like, you know, it's a distillery. As you know, we, you know, we distill in Cognac and also in Barbados where we make rum. And uh, you go to this incredible old distillery on the beach, uh, West Indies Rum Distillery, and you open the cupboards, you know, and you got like pictures of the different managers of the distillery for 120 years. They're all dusty, they're just sitting there. And you say, best case scenario, you'll, you'll be one of these men, you know, you'll stuck in a drawer, photos, yeah. drawer somewhere. <laughs> and it's very humbling. And I really, to me, it's natural. This is the way it goes. And I think the world of spirits, whether you produce, you know, you produce cognac, the guys who have been starting doing this at the Ferrand family sits since 1630, right? Yeah. So we are nothing compared to this. Yeah, yeah, and so if you can bring your own little thing, you know, your own little touch to it and have fun and and create a lot of good taste, beautiful, spirited emotions in the process, I think this is the best we can do. Yeah, and, and like that, that requires like a tremendous amount of like foresight to be able to see it out that distance, but also patience, right? Well, that's interesting like, because I'm actually not super patient. Yeah, and I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I'm getting from you. And you're, I, you're like a hustler. And I, I don't have much uh, much foresight. No, honestly, uh, you know, a lot of guys see and they say. I've been doing this for 30 years, right? And they tell you, you know, I knew from the beginning. I had no clue at the beginning. I mean, I had no clue. And I think most of us don't, right? You're there and you know what you don't like. I knew what I didn't like. I didn't like somebody 
who I felt, you know, just like bind authority, tell me what to do if I, I was not on board. And it's funny because the way Maison Ferrand works, I'm surrounded by guys like me, we're like a bunch of misfits having loads of fun, working so hard. And it's like, you know, we wouldn't probably fit into a corporate environment, but we do something that we love and we do it all the way because there's just no, no looking back when you're into it. And, and we always double down, you know, we do something and then you heard about what we're doing in Jamaica, for example, right now. You know, this is something that for us, it's, uh, it's uh, yeah, a lot of it is do or die. So I was, I was you know, uh, go back to what we're talking about. I'm a late teenager and I'm thinking, I don't speak English. I don't know the world. So I went to America and I thought I would go to a place where there's not so many French people. I chose Minnesota, and uh, I thought there's I would... not a lot of French people in Minnesota. There's not a lot. I didn't <laughs> discover guessing. a lot, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, at first, I thought I may die on the first year because of the weather. Oh, yeah. And it's actually a wonderful place. I enjoyed every minute of it. And there was Prince, you know, at First Avenue, playing, uh, you know, uh, at least twice a month. <laughs> so uh, I bought an old uh, Le Mans, you know, beat-up car for $300. And, uh, you stuck with a French car, at least. <laughs> no, 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 it was a Pontiac <laughs> Le Mans, I know, the name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, and, uh, you know, um, uh, just just enjoyed the whole year. And I've learned, I mean, I'm, my English is not great, but that's I owe it to, uh, to Minnesota, uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. And, uh, and, and learned English there and, you know, took uh, audited at the McAllister College, uh, you know, uh, English and politics, just to you know, do something and learn, and just uh, intern for a state senator uh, over there, which was like really plunging into a culture, you know, which I thought was wonderful. I mean, this is a wonderful country, and for me, you know, to be, to come from southern Burgundy and go into the Midwest, I thought it felt like home in a lot of ways. I mean, I feel like that's, that doesn't sound like home. It sounds like you went from a farm to granted, Minnesota, not, not the most cosmopolitan, but you still went somewhere, you immersed yourself in a completely different culture and language, you dove into politics, which is not the easiest or most understandable thing, and you did all this as a teenager who grew up on a farm. Well, you know, when you say dove into politics, I was a human word processor. (laughs) You know, I was, you know, at the Judiciary Committee, there was was just an internship. And so, uh, you know, uh, just at the time, there was no computer, so it was just cut and paste, physically cut and paste, you know, when they were looking at laws. Yeah, with scissors. Cutting and pasting. And and whiteout was my third third weapon. And, you know, so that's how I was equipped. And, and, you know, I just fell in love with the culture. I thought that was great. And, and, you know, you're just 19 years old. You're just, just diving into it and uh, I just English started make sense to, to me quite quickly because you know when you just you only think that's around you so I figured that's that's what it is and very quickly I said you know after I do this year I gotta learn something about I, I need to build my own little, little shack whatever it is you know whether sure. it's a little farm or I was thinking South America or or you know I always wanted I grew up with winemakers some genius winemakers and you know South Burgundy and so on and I thought, you know, wine, why not? But I was always fascinated by distilling, because to me, distilling is this, there's a magic to it. You know, it's about capturing the essence of things. And I just thought, this is crazy, you know? And I, my grandfather was uh, what is called a bouilleur de cru, meaning that you have the privilege of distilling your own crop. So uh, whether it was fruits or, or wine in that case, or actually the must of wine, which we call uh, Mar, Mar de Bourgogne. So I, I remember the smell of it about doing this, and I felt, you know, maybe I can do something like this. Now, now it sounds a bit natural now because there's all craft distillers and so on. There was not such a thing 30 years ago, or actually it was a little over 30 years ago, 32 years ago back then, or 34. And so, but just, you feel maybe you could do this. 
And, but I had no clue about business. I, I, I didn't know. I mean, I, I had clues about how you, you do farming. But, uh, you know, if you do spirits, it's very capital intensive. Like, you need money to yeah. do this. Yeah. And I didn't know Well, this. again, especially if you're going to go into something that takes such a lengthy amount of time to get to market. You're right. Exactly. Right? And that's like, why... Uh, you know, you're not distilling today and selling tomorrow. You need that. What's, what's, what's that thing? What's that thing? Oh, patience. That's what you <laughs> yeah, need yeah, to back do. Back to patience. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And also, also maybe, uh, you know, planning, uh, you know, that's very true. And also, and that's what we say to this day, you know, what I've learned is that it's like the same that on a farm, you can have a, an ideal view about what you do. And that's, I think, important in life. And, and but we always say the head and the stars and the feet on the ground at Ferron because we, but farming also, you got to make sure all the animals are fed and the plants are growing. And, and you know, that's something that's important. The team is part of the animals, right? <laughs> no, I'm the, I'm the animal if you <laughs> yeah. listen to them. And they're the humans. Okay. <laughs> it's the other way around. And uh, this great team, by the way, I'm so blessed. And uh, really, uh, uh, thank you to all of them. And really what happened is that I, I just applied to for prep school for business school and just, I don't know, for some reason got accepted and went through it. But half into school, I was already, a, a, you know, partner in a, in a little cognac company that was Maison Ferrand. And I was doing at the time uh, 20 or 30,000 euro or something worth of sales and was, was basically a, a shadow of what, what it used to be. I mean, Ferrand is several branches, several families. The main family is the Eli Ferron branch, which we reconnected only recently with, actually. So really long story, really long adventure. And my, my first professional trip to Cognac was, was back then. And I saw farmland and I saw a spirit uh, that is the expression of its terroir. You see, Cognac mm -hmm. has a map where every other six area has a different taste profile, depending uh, on the terroir in a greater sense, meaning the land, but also they had a man and women making the products which each different, slightly different know-how. And it just spoke to me, it makes sense. You know, sometimes you see something, yeah. uh, and, and again, a lot of guys says, well, you knew it was gonna be it. But still, I think, I, I'm gonna say, I, I, I don't really had a clue, you know, I just, uh, I can tell you something a little personal, but uh, uh, my girlfriend at the time, who's actually my wife now, you know, she was there when, you know, came there sometimes with me, and we're so young and immature, you know, with, at night would like slide on the big corridors, you know, running and, and you know, and so it was not like the businessman with the big decisions was somebody who's, uh, who's trying to find himself into something that he feel very passionate for. That's, mm -hmm. That was, I think, what uh, was riveting to me all along is that sense that uh, I'm from, a, my mother is, a, is an artist, she's a sculptor and uh, she's tried classically trained and and I, I always find that one of the beautiful things you can do is when you create emotions for others, mm. you know. And I think it's very rewarding. My daughter is a musician, a professor, uh, a musician here in the U.S. And, and I think when you, you can do this, you know, like when you distill something that's delicious, or when a bartender makes a beautiful drink, you know, um, I always love these moments. You know, this is an emotion. Usually it's a share emotions. And I feel that spirits... Spirits is one of the last form of folk art. You see, now hmm. art has been has been uh, has been harmonized worldwide, worldwide for the better or for the worse. Really, think about it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you go any city, you listen to very similar rock and roll songs, and, and I love rock and roll. But you know, you do, and if you look at uh, uh, you know, or you go to Japan, one of the most uh, best uh, interpret of uh, of uh, Bach by. Uh, uh, cello is your yoma, and so it's kind of a take on this, on a kind of a same uniform culture. That's not true for spirits. 
with spirits, we, I think we saved the four cards. You know, in Calvados, in the area, you drink Calvados, and Calvados has been around. So it's like the folk music in the old days. Where I grew up in South Burgundy, we still play the very folky, folksy music, but the guys who play it are, are, are 80 years old, and it's a music that's very different. You know, Ireland was able to keep it, but you see a lot of areas now, all this is wiped out, but it is not with spirits. Think about Baijo, think about Mar de Bourgogne, think Fin de Bourgogne, think Armagnac, think... Some of them went worldwide, but they're really deeply rooted in their regional cultures, and, and, and think about Bourbon, and think about Applejack, and I don't think spirits is magical that way, and I think you can create a lot of emotions if you distill a beautiful and age of beautiful spirits, and I felt it was a calling. Well, yeah. that's, that's like what your grandfather was talking about, too. It's like, you know, you don't... <clears throat> You don't, you know, you can, you make pop art, you don't make folk art, you tend folk art, you're just, you know, you're another, uh, another rung in the legacy of it, you know, you're, uh, you're the, you're the keeper of the spirit, but it's not yours, it belongs to everybody, you know. Yeah, it's true, and it's something you just carry on, right, uh, you, and so of course you want to give it your twist, you know, or the, the one that your, your team and I think about, but really it's a cha- shared emotions, I mean, uh, yesterday I was with a good friend, Dave, and and joined by Garrett, and we're at the Long Island Bar here in Brooklyn. Just flew in from Paris to come here see you guys, and and uh, we spent a great evenings having great cocktails. Probably a little too much, but still very yeah. enjoyable. You still <laughs> is made it, it? It's early. Exactly. It's if you made it to where you're supposed to be, it wasn't too that much. That was what's important. But really, that's that the moments you remember forever. And that's if we can if we can help in the process with wonderful cognac. I think that's uh, that's that's rewarding. Yeah, incredibly rewarding, I'm sure. Um, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. We're going to come back in just a second and keep talking to Alexander Gabriel from Maison Premier, uh, Maison Ferrand. Ah, sorry, uh, uh, Cognac. Uh, we'll be right back. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Fair Kitchens. The food service industry faces a challenge. More people are eating out, yet restaurants are losing talent. Why is this? Research by Fair Kitchens reveals a serious well-being issue within professional kitchens. 74% of chefs are sleep-deprived to the point of exhaustion. 63% of chefs feel depressed. And more than half feel pushed to the breaking point. This can't be ignored. Fair Kitchens is a movement based on the belief that a positive kitchen culture makes for a healthier business. By taking the pledge to be a Fair Kitchen, they'll provide you with free information, tools, and resources to help you take action towards making your restaurant more stable, productive, and happy, which positively affects the guest experience. It's time to act now. Learn about the Fair Kitchen's code and join the movement at fairkitchens.com. This episode is brought to you by you. Heritage Radio Network makes your favorite food podcasts. And now we need you to lend your voice to our community and show your support of food radio. Become a member today. HRN releases 35 weekly shows each week and is a globally respected voice in food media. But believe it or not, we're still a very small grassroots organization. HRN is powered by a small but mighty staff of four people and HRN's incredible hosts who volunteer their time to bring you the best food podcasts out there. Our hosts are experts in their field, whether it's food writing, mixology, culinary history, craft beer, LGBTQ issues, and so much more. And they're committed to making sure that the stories that matter to you keep coming 
each week. We believe that a thoughtful, committed group can change the world. So join us. Add your voice and support HRN by making a donation of any amount. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. And we're back on the speakeasy at uh, recording live from the future at Clover Club in uh, Borum Hill. Uh, we're hanging out with Alexander Gabriel of Maison Ferron. Alexander, uh, we just talked and uh, uh, learned a lot about you, uh, about your youth. Um, you're still a young man, but, but about your, your, Thank you. your young youth. Um, and now we're going to talk a little bit more about what it is you're up to today, um, where, you've, where you've taken and where you plan to take the House of Ferron. Well, it's been 30 years uh, this year, so uh, fascinating 30 years. An incredible team, like I said, very proud of each and every one. And, uh, but, I, but I still want to like impress upon the audience that, that 30 years in the world of cognac is like 10 minutes. It is 10 minutes. <laughs> it it right? is like in the life of a fly. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Like 30 years is just a tiny incremental part of the motion of the wheel, right? It totally is, and I'm so convinced about it. I just finished with a, with a, with a good friend, the historian Jacques Blanc, a book about the history of the, uh, that uh, we're writing. Uh, a book about the history of Grand Champagne of Cognac. The Grand Champagne of Cognac is the bullseye of the Cognac region. And it's a fascinating uh, history because it's, it's a team of disenfranchised people. They were the Huguenots of France and mm-hmm. they were ostracized, often killed if they didn't admit that they were, didn't, uh, didn't become uh, you know, Catholic. Right. And at the risk of their life, you know, continued on their faith and their mission of making great Cognac and their cousins were the Huguenots that immigrated and and they created, you see that, that, that life has created this wonderful spirit. And, and you see how it's intertwined, especially in this bull, bullseye of the Cognac region. And that's the, uh, that's the Grand Champagne. So you really see these, this, 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 uh, these people starting in the early 1600s. Now there's a history of one, the main branch of the Ferrand family, which was this little distillery that uh, we took over about uh, 30 years ago. And they were doing this for, since 1630, you know, and this this idea of creating a They're product, new at it. and now exactly <laughs> that was the new that was the young the scrappy upstart the, the yeah. beginners this upstart 1630. So yes, of course, it's it's very 30 years is very little, and right now uh, I'm here because we're launching a, a new product called Ten Generations in in the honor something I uh, cognac I blended in the honor of Mademoiselle, which was the last uh, living uh, direct generation of the Eli Ferrand branch. And she passed away with no heir, and she was like a godmother to us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and she's just still the old, old estate house where, where she lived all her life that, uh, that now we were keeping a bit like a shrine, to tell you the truth. Uh, and to us, she's still alive, and I, I, I made this blend in her honor. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, and, and that's amazing. That, that also speaks to something you spoke to a bit earlier as well. Like, you, you have this kind of firm belief that, that, that it's about emotion. Right? Absolutely. So, so she she passed on, and you became emotional, and then you created something to carry her on, right? That's exactly it. And you know, uh, she always said to me, uh, you know, uh, when I went there, she remembers the birthday and uh, of uh, all of her ancestors ten generations before her. Wow! And one day I'm like, Mademoiselle, how can you, you know, if you tell me how can I have that kind of memory at your age? She was close to a hundred years old. <laughs> And I'm like, this is, and she says, you know, when you don't have any children, your, 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 your children is your legacy. So mm-hmm. I think I'm just walking in a very modest way in these footsteps, my team and I. And we decided to do this plan called 10 Generations. 
And, uh, you know, as you know, I do a lot of research about the way cognac was made in the old days and also the way rum was made in the old days. I love to, because to me it's such a source of inspirations. And so we, we employed an old techniques which was reuse wine barrels. You know, in the old days you didn't th throw anything away. And my grandmother who lived through Second World War and, uh, you know, grandfather that was a, a father that was a, a, a husband, I'm sorry, which is my grandfather who was a prisoner of war, you know, you reuse everything, yeah. you know, you don't throw anything away. So in the old days it was like that, so they would reuse their wine barrels, and then, so 20% of that blend is, is a cognac that's uh, that's aged in a barrel of Sauternes uh, mm. wine, mm. and so it's a blend and it's a higher proof, you know, those spicier, uh, spikier, it's a 92 proof, so it it's something that I felt, you know, uh, would really reflect all of this, put together the heritage a research about ancient techniques of cognac making. It's a hundred percent Grand Champagne, Premier Cru, like all the Ferrand cognac. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, Ferrand is really a specialist of this, you know, unblended Premier Cru area where we are located, where our vineyards, and uh, and do something the higher proof to have a little more concentration. I thought really uh, was was on target, and that's that's the way I looked at it really, and the fact that. Uh, you know, this is a family that all called each other's Eli, you know, in 1630, Eli I, and then the last one died in the Dardanelles, male heir was Eli the, the tenth. Wow. So Eli, so that's why, ten, ten generations, yeah. right? <laughs> so uh, Eli the Eighth was like a greater than life guy that we have a lot of writings about. There's a book, I'll show you, it's right here, about him, it's a 300 page book. And we see the type of research that he was doing uh, that was at the time quite common, but that's forgotten now. For example, using barrels made of chestnut mm -hmm. to make cognac, mm -hmm. which is a delicacy. And it is not part of the cognac regulation now. And so, of course, cognac react, uh, you know, we're as a team, all the producers, and I'm modestly trying to see if we can reopen the nowadays regulation to be able to key in some of these ancient practices that yet they are very uh, niche, you know, they're very specific but it makes such delicious spirits, such delicious cognac. And I, I, of course, it was my little midlife crisis. I did another product called the Renegade Barrels, which is all these ancient practices that were digging out. Why Renegade? Because if you look at the history of a lot of these different Ferrand, they were kind of the renegades of their times. And, and it's kind of a, you know, a bit of a, uh, a wink to them and, and to say, if you plunge back in these old recipes and traditions that are not part of nowadays life, anymore is are you a traditionalist or a renegade i don't know but it's delicious cognac and that's what we made it in that case we can't call it cognac we have to call I it i was about to say eau de vie de vin. because of the rules right the, the rules are are they laws or are they just rules they're, they're laws yeah they're, they're, laws. they're, they're laws so just yeah. like we, we have with american whiskey the b, it's the b and ic right yeah you're right so now you <coughs> <laughs> well hey, yeah. yeah i got to visit i got to visit Maison Ferrand. Absolutely. Uh, I'll tell you a story about a tomato real fast. But <laughs> I was on the property. They were showing us the vineyards, and I saw this tomato bush. I grew up in the deep south, you know, tomatoes are like a big deal for us. And I thought to myself, those tomatoes are growing in the best place on earth for a fruit to grow. Tomatoes are fruits. <laughs> and I said, can I have one of those? <laughs> and the guy was, yeah, take one. So I plucked one off there, and I ate this little tomato that was probably the best tomato I've ever had in my life because it had to struggle to grow, which is what the soil <laughs> yes, does, right? right. The soil on, makes the fruit on chalky soil, yeah. So, <clears throat> so 
the struggling tomato. <laughs> I'm curious if you guys would maybe chop down a row of vines and put up a row of tomatoes. No, probably not. That's what was done right there. Oh, yeah? yeah, yeah it was yeah. just one, one little bush. Yeah, yeah. Inside. I can't even believe I saw it. I was like, what is that over there? Um, so so what, maybe this comes back to a little bit of your, you, you know, you got some politics in your background. Do you do you use any of that savvy or that that style of talking when you when you reach out to the BNIC and say hey can we reopen, can we reopen these old, old they might ways? they might agree with you I don't know it's a wonderful team uh, again you know thirty years ago I wouldn't have said that I must admit you know I was pretty rebel, rebel rebellious uh, you know uh, I think now it's a matter of really sitting down and trying to uh, trying to agree on something which is not always easy as you can imagine and a lot is at stake so I can respect that but to us at Ferrand we are. We feel it's a calling. I know we're, we probably think we're, we're I'm crazy. It probably is the case, but we feel it's a calling to be able to uh, to do this and to do it well. You know, I always say to, to my team, we don't do things halfway. Like if we do this, we do it all the way. And so that's why I'm, I'm writing this book. I'm, I'm insomniac. I don't sleep well well at night. My yeah, grandmother, same. I sleep about <laughs> I really, four hours a night. Well, my grandmother was the same way. She lived almost a hundred. So don't worry. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're good. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> And so I wrote uh, this book with Jack about the history of Grand Champagne, and I'm starting one about the different type of woods, you know, uh, chestnut, acacia, mulberry, uh, cedar, where they were used. Yeah, cedar was very big vats. To, uh, it was sure. mostly for rum, you know, to store rum, like a couple of years and things. It gives it a slight little twist. And we have this historical data at the distillery in, uh, in Barbados, because as you know, we're involved. And we, we teamed up with the West Indies Rum Distillery in mm. Barbados, so also incredible history. So at Maison Ferrand, what we do is we there's so much to, to, to draw from this, and and I've done it for, for 30 years, and that's the, the, our products, all the Ferrand products are the result of uh, all this research and, uh, and uh, you know, talent of a, of a team, I'm, I'm proud to say. And so whether it is the 10 generations that we described, or for example, we have a product called Double Cask, where it goes through a second aging in a banyuls barrel. So now mm-hmm. banyuls, you probably know, is a tiny little region in south of France where they've been making wine since the 1300s, mm-hmm. and they still make wine the same way. Yeah. And so, you they know, they, don't it, fix it. it's, it's, it's <laughs> not on trellis, it's still on the ground, and, and this wine is so rich, and it's got a lot of what we call the rancio, which is these very ripe notes, of uh, you know uh, dried fruits like prune etc. So if you use a barrel of this specific wine and you put an old cognac into it as a as a, as a, as a maturation, a double maturation, it's delicious. That's the reserve uh, a double cast that we do like this again, the reuse of certain barrels. So it's really a tribute to this great heritage, and that that we're doing and that we're uh, we're spending our life uh, uh, you know doing. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about that rum project that you touched on because you, I'm getting a sense that you have kind of a, a rebellious streak in you when it comes to making these spirits and kind of like seeing you know okay let's let's reach back and maybe push the envelope a little bit and see like let's try some of these old techniques and see how far we can we can stray from the past while still honoring it. What was that like for you to come and start working with this distillery in Jamaica? Because, you know, it's not it's not exactly the Wild West, but it certainly doesn't have as many rules and regs as I imagine making cognac does. Was that kind of you, like, I, I imagine you, like, rubbing your hands together. It's like, all right, let's get weird with this. How was that? Well, um, it's, it's true. I mean, rum is a spirit that I fell in love with uh, uh, 25 years ago. And, uh, and I wanted to learn, you know, I, I've, I've worked in my life with 50 different master blenders and, uh, and master distillers in different projects that we've done together. Sometimes we launch a product together, sometimes we just drink the barrel. <laughs> and uh, both is a lot of fun. 
And, uh, you know, Dave Pickrell, the late Dave Pickrell, for example, in the U.S. comes to mind, but many other people. Uh, uh, I was with Garrett last night from uh, Brooklyn Brewery, an incredible gentleman. And Garrett Oliver, he's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, you, something's going to come out of this this, this evening, <laughs> of yesterday. You Outstanding. Know, we're, we're gonna yeah, because he likes to fuck around with Exactly. Too. So we're going to swap barrels and you know, <laughs> so we'll do some crazy stuff. So, so, you know, about 20 years ago when I thought, you know... Uh, Maybe I fell in love with rum and I said, what if we did an old technique for rum, which is really use not just bourbon barrels, but actually use our cognac barrels to mature rum. And then we started, as, as soon as we could do it, and that was later on, we shipped these, the rum inside the barrel. When, the, when you, uh, rum spends a lot of time at sea in a barrel, the movement of the humidity gives it an incredible polish. Mm -hmm. The old guys knew it. Now science is only starting to realize how much good it does to the spirit. And so I, that's when we created Plantation Rum. That was uh, 1999. At the time, it was tiny, tiny. And then, of course, we grew. And being a production guy, one day I said, you know, it wouldn't be so nice if we can uh, invest in a distillery. So I thought about this quite a long time ago, really almost from inception. And then it's like getting married. You know, you want the perfect match and you're looking <laughs> at it. and Got to book the venue saves. and everything. <laughs> exactly. And we're saving some money because we don't want to do like what business people call leverage buyout where the distillery would have to struggle to pay the loan. Or we really wanted to the distillery to stray and the money to stay in the Caribbean. So we invested in West Indies Rum Distillery just a, a little two year, over two years ago. And West Indies Rum Distillery, which in spells like weird when people some weird stuff you're talking about <laughs> so we're doing weird rum <laughs> literally West Indies rum <laughs> uh, yes and so weird uh, uh, West Indies rum distillery is, is an old distillery on the beach that's been around was a, a brainchild of a gentleman in the uh, late 1800s about making the best rum there is this distillery contains archives of rum making since then there's a room called the vault it's all there there's some crazy stuff in there like making rum with using uh, seawater in the fermentation process. All this stuff is right sitting there. We have the oldest chamber still in the world. Uh, the, there's only one remaining from the 19th century. It's there. It's not a pot still. It's not a common still. Dave Wondrich, an incredible historian and spirit, uh, I call him the intellectual gourmand, has, has documented <laughs> this. Uh, what what the, was that? The, the intellectual gourmand. Ah. <laughs> intellectual uh, gourmand intellectual. Ah, you know, so somebody who's oui, oui. an intellectual guy but has incredible taste buds. And so, you know, we've done a lot of research together. So that distillery to us was, was uh, it's like a marriage with the team. There's, uh, there's now 70 guys there, so much bigger than who we were actually in size. And uh, you'll see in my life, we always double up, you know, because it's a team, it's a team, we put everything with the team. And uh, I made a pledge to my team 30 years ago to never take dividends, and we're not. We're just plunging every cent back to the community. Mm -hmm. And for us, we, we made the same pledge to the team in Barbados, which we have, you know, now it's almost three years. And so, uh, and luckily, this very old lady, which is this distillery, own a third national rum of Jamaica in Jamaica. So imagine this little redneck from South Burgundy. I'm now sitting at a table and working with the government of Jamaica, who owns a third. An incredible gentleman right now, represent the government, probably three times smarter than I am. And then uh, my good friend Kamal Samaru from the Mira Distillers, uh, uh, which uh, also is a third owner. So it's the three of us. In, and with an incredible team in Jamaica, as well as in Barbados, we've tried to work all together to make great rums, and that's plantation. 
and uh, and uh, so yes, a lot of moving parts, but a very 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 exciting uh, adventure for sure. And successful, right? You're making delicious stuff, and it's getting to the people. Well, you know, I hope so. I, I, again, you know, in the end, is the emotions, and uh, we launched in honor of this marriage, Xamaika uh, Special Dry, and I'm gonna brag a little. I, yeah, do it. You know, it's a. Uh, it's been launched uh, 12, uh, 12 months ago, and we already have 12 gold medals and, 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 and more. So, uh, again, a tribute to the team because, uh, yes, I'm a master blender by training, and I do my part, but I wouldn't be nothing without these guys and their passion and, and that, that, that we share. So, um, yeah, plantation has been growing, and it's very humbling, you know, because you always, like, since we're doubling up and we're rest, resting everything, it affords us to be able to do, to do more things. And right now in Jamaica... You know, we're cultivating more land, more cane land, and it is more people. Uh, in Barbados, we're able to employ 40% more people. Uh, in the, and I'm very proud of this, to, to see uh, this team that's really excited. I was just in you know, the distillery in uh, Black Rock uh, in Barbados uh, last week, and uh, there's a new lady who works in the, in the in, do analysis in the East and, uh, at the lab. And uh, she's from Barbados, she just came back from Canada, and she was so excited to join the team. And that excitement, you're like, this is infectious, you know, it feeds me back. So, so that's the adventure. Yeah, you're building, you're building something that's, uh, you know, has an effect on, on a lot of people's lives, uh, both on the business side and on the, on the, you know, on the consumer side, right? The, when, the, when the bottle finally lands uh, either, you know, at the, at the local liquor store or the bar, those emotions get to carry on, right? Totally, you know. Pick them up. I, you know, the emotions we, we're trying to create are the same that a bartender. Imagine I sometimes sit in a corner of a bar and it's a quiet time and uh, there is a consumer comes and they say, I'd like a vodka and tonic, for example. And then the bartender says, sure, says, can I make you something else? And if you don't like it, I'll drink it. And then you make something with gin or with, uh, you know, rum or cognac or tequila. And that person's face brightens up and says, what is this? It's delicious. And you know that moment, this person is different from uh, before they entered the bar and they left the bar and the satisfaction of this barmaid or bartender, you know, that made this delicious drink and that person leaves and is thinking, wow, you know, this person leaves this place, I'd like to believe as a better person. Well, if we can do the same with a beautiful cognac, with Ferrand cognac, or beautiful rum, uh, with plantation rum, I think that's, that's what we're about. Yeah, I, I also love the fact that you sort of like you're, you're very willing to seem to sort of stick and move, right? You're, 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 you're always on the move. So, like, talk to me a little bit about the fact that the laws that the BNIC has laid down dictate that you can't the, distill during certain times of the year. And so you've got these stills just sitting there getting dusty. And you said to yourself, fuck that. I'm going to do something. And you started making gin. Yeah, that was 1996, probably way, way too early. See, I'm, uh, we, we never had a marketing department until this very fine lady, uh, Angelique, uh, came and joined. Uh, and she, she convinced me that maybe marketing is a good thing. To me, it was, uh, I mean, I must apologize to all marketing people listening. I just thought, you know, I could buy another 50 barrels instead, you know, having a marketing department. And to me, it was a no-brainer, you know. So for 28 years, that was the choice. And then she came and she says, actually, people could understand much better what we're doing. If you explain it to them. <laughs> so How about that? <laughs> and I was like, really? That, that sounds, exactly. And, you know, the team used to do presentations. They would go to Kinko's and prepare their, their brochure, basically. With, with like your just before. pay skills. Exactly. Still got the old <laughs> trusty bottle of white hat. <laughs> that was, that, that's what, what it was. Yeah, the, until, 
until Zine. <laughs> until two years ago, really until two years ago. So of course now no more. Uh, sorry for Kinkos. Now it's working differently, <laughs> and uh, and you know she she convinced us and and so it's the same thing for us. Uh, no marketing studies, and we decided let's use these pot stills to make gin, right? Because for half of the year you don't distill cognac, and I just sit there. It's beautiful equipment, great know-how. Very eager, a lot of eagerness, as you can imagine. So I tried to learn everything I could about gin making. I remember all my life uh, being in the UK out of a distillery that's an old distillery in London. And there is a funeral procession driving by in a very British humor. A gentleman that was very, very old says to me, here goes gin customers. You know, they were like, his <laughs> customers were just, he's like, that was not a really vibrant market back then. Sure. And, and now there's a new gin every day and, uh, and yeah. you know, and it's a very vibrant market. So I really think, you know, the way I look at it, I never worried where the market goes and maybe it's stupid. We just did things that we felt was right and made sense to us. And that was our line conduct, probably bad advice, you know, I don't know. But that's been, that's been, our, that's been our conduct. So we launched uh, Citadel Gin in 1996. Uh, you know, uh, I remember talking to a distributor here, Mike Shaw. Here in New York, and I said, you know, Mike, we have this gin. Finally, we're able to convince the government. It took me five years. We can distill into a cognac still to make this gin. What do you think? You know, and to us, it was like one of the marvels of the world because we spent so much time and research to do it. We actually have a they have a patent under my name. There's only four or five in the world for for gin making, and. Uh, so we felt this is it, you know, and uh, we we've have the arrived. recipe, and we've arrived. And he looked at me, and says, "What is that shit?" And I'm like, uh, you know, it's a nice French expression. So I'm like, uh, "Well, this is a gin, you know." And I explain, you know, it's distilled on a naked flame. And he looks at me, and I, he says, "It sounds like a, a sexual transmitted disease, Alexander. French gin <laughs> distilled on a naked flame. Is that does that hurt?" <laughs> And I'm like, all right, maybe, you know, so maybe the marketing skills that we've got to work yeah. on it. And then, but I remember because a few weeks later, I, I, I met a, a, somebody who was writing for the New York Times. And I guess maybe I was to pity of me, a little bit down and loved Ferrand Cognac. So always was very fond about the cognac. And he said, what's up? And I said, well, and then tell this person the story. And that was 1999, actually, a few years after. And I tasted the gin and says, this is the best gin I've ever tasted. I'm like, really? I'm like, well. And so he wrote this beautiful article, half page. I still have it. I'm a little superstitious in the drawer of my desk. You know, was, I remember Citadel, Gin, Stones, The Gate. And, and it created a little bit of interest until a, a gentleman called Fern Adria, who's an incredible chef in, uh, in uh, you may have heard, in, uh, oh, yeah. in uh, uh, Spain, El Bulli at El the Bulli, time. Yeah. Yeah. Made on TV what he thought, you know, like gin and tonic is a gastronomic act and he's whipping out a bottle of Citadel Gin. And I, 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 you know, I don't watch, you know, live in, in, in Cognac, so I didn't watch but the, the Spanish television, but uh, our Spanish distributor calls me and says, you won't believe this. Fran Adria made a gin and tonic on TV using Citadel Gin. I'm like, wow, that sounds great, right? Well, he's like Ronaldo over there. He's like, yeah. he's like a rock star. And, uh, and suddenly we started, and he's actually, people don't know this, but actually Fran Adria is the gentleman that invented what we call the Spanish gin, like gin and tonic, you know, like this, yes. you know, when you drink Change it in, in, a, in, a, a, in a big a, goblet, right, in a big, uh, in a big wine glass, mm -hmm. or, you know, because he says it's about the aromatics mm -hmm. and the full experience. So we're like, oh, that's exciting, you know, and then we started, at first we sold just a few cases, we started selling by pallets, which was really exciting, so we cranked up uh, production. And this year we're putting a, a, like a, a distillery that's going to be full-time distilling because the seasonal distilling 
the young guys working with me now because a lot of the guys started with me retired and uh, they're like no no we want to be able to distill all, all year long so I started uh, uh, November or uh, December 2020 we'll be able to also continue to distill uh, all year long because Citadel is wrong because the demand yeah yeah that's outstanding you know um, I have a I'm a partner in a bar here in New York called Windmill, which is uh, all the spirits we use are French, so the only gin we have there is Citadel. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, that's an honor. Thank <laughs> yeah. you very much. And we do the Spanish-style gin tonic in oh, the goblet. Yeah, in the it's goblet. Gorgeous, well, yeah. it's you, you, we owe this to Fran, Adria, absolutely. Yeah, well. Yeah, that was his, uh, that was his uh, first, and you know, a lot of chefs walked in his footsteps. Oh, of course. He was really carried on in Europe by the gastronomy. At first, and uh, like so, the uh, you know Belgium, Flanders, very gastronomic area, mm -hmm. were the second area to, and then it kind of migrated progressively. Yeah, I I visited uh, San Sebastian a few years ago, and I I tell people without hesitation that the gin tonic in San Sebastian changed my DNA, like it changed my perspective on that simple drink so radically. It's a great experience, right? I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, for the listener, if you haven't had a, a Spanish-style gin tonic, it's, uh, it's, it's an experience. They, like, some of them bring a trolley with different herbs oh, and different, oh, uh, different ingredients. I visited a bar called Gin Toneria. Ah. They had 132 gins and oh, wow. 132 gin tonics. A gin tonic <laughs> recipe for each gin. Each gin. Like, uh, incredible. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's just incredible the thought process that they use to create this sort of, like, to, to, to sort of like elevate this simple thing oh, sure. to like a, a little piece of art. Yeah, there is a... And you want to talk about emotions, man. That's a lot of emotion. That's a lot of emotion. It's, it's funny you remind me, but I haven't been there for a long time. It was probably 10 years ago. There's a bar in and in a, in a restaurant. It's, a, it's more like a restaurant, simple restaurant called Padre in Madrid. And, and so Padre is the father. He mm -hmm. owns his farm outside of uh, Madrid with his two sons. And you can see that he works them real hard, probably slaps them in the back of the head once in a while. You know, you can see like they're like working so hard for their father. And, uh, and they have to be talking about tomatoes. Uh, they're like they grow, you know, over there, tomatoes, they melt oh, yeah. you know, with oil and things. So they prepare these gin tonics with things that they grow in their farms, different ingredients. That was like, that was heavenly. Yeah. You know, they, they, so yeah, that, that like local ingredients, you, and then gin works, it will lend itself to that very, very easily. Of course, of course. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I, I'm a big fan of the Citadel gin. Thank uh, you. And that's why I have it over at Wendell. Um, well, listen, this has been a really great and fascinating talk with you. Um, you're, just the trail of your life is pretty incredible. Uh, and, you know, it's not even halfway over. So you, uh, we're, we're expecting more great things from you. Um, if anyone wanted to get a hold of you or to talk to you about uh, cognac or gin or rum, is there an easy method? Uh, you got yeah, an Instagram well, handle? Or? Um, I'm, um, I, I'm not good with Facebook messages, but I'm on Facebook to share a little bit of what I do. I'm, I'm learning, you know. <laughs> you know uh, to you got your marketing people. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yes, no, but I can, I'm learning to do uh, the pictures and share what we do. Uh, we love passionate people, and, and if anybody, uh, you know, makes it to France or Barbados, we're not open to the public, but we're open to passionate people. And always, uh, you know, we love to share this passion. You know, it's wonderful. Uh, and I got an email, you know, it's agabriel at uh, uh, maisonferrand.com. So, uh, you know, of course, I'm always uh, sometimes slow with email because if it's, uh, you know, very often either at production or here, you know, talking about what we do. Sure. And my mother always said, you know, when you're a creative guy and you create something, you got to be the best at it, but you have to know how to speak about it. So I've learned this. That's why I've learned English, by the way. Otherwise, you know, you're a poor artist in the uh, somewhere, which that's the story of her life. And, and, you know, very inspiring to me again to, to be able to, to speak about what, what we're doing. So we love to share the experience. 
Yeah, I had uh, I had a wonderful, wonderful experience when I got to visit the the house uh, Maison Ferrand. It was uh, unbelievable. And and oh, now you. you've set up like a is there is there something for people to come and visit now? Well, was, you uh, was, when when was this? Six, maybe seven years. Do you ago? stayed with us or well, no? Because we yet. fixed. I don't, think that was, I don't think that was finished. Yet. Yeah, that was not finished because <clears> what we did. I mean, we're so broke uh, six, seven years ago. Because yeah. we go through different phases of investments. We do all the work ourselves, so uh, we got I got four of my guys. They when they don't fill up barrels, they fix up things. Sure. So next time you come, you can stay with us. We fixed up nine bedrooms at the chateau at the estate, so uh, it's all done by ourselves. So, you know, it's not like five star hotels, but it's nice. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's right in the middle of the vineyards, and uh, it's it's fucking gorgeous. We borrowed from American culture the fire pit. You know, so we have a yeah. fire pit. <laughs> you know, that was uh, something that was uh, that was fun, and we're building right now. It's going to be soon ready. A road tennis, you know, it's a Barbados tradition where they play. It's a mix of tennis and uh, and ping pong. It's like kind of the road. You know, when the Barbados people saw the the British playing tennis in the you know the etc. in a fancy way, they said we're going to play tennis too. And they played it on the road, doing a plank in the middle, and they played with a rubber ball and like. Uh, a rackets built into like a plank of wood, and it's it's a, so, <laughs> such a fun, such a fun sport, and became our, you know, uh, emblematic sports at Maison Ferrand. So we have a, a field at the distillery across the distillery in Barbados, and we're building one in Cognac because the Cognac team wants to be able to compete. Sure. So you yeah, yeah. you'll, you'll be play, you'll be playing road tennis. <laughs> Could have a yeah. championship between the two distilleries. That's what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I can't wait. Yeah. Uh, well, again, really, really excellent having you on the show today. Great. Thank you so much for taking some of your time out. I know you're busy while you're on the road, and, uh, you know, again, it's early morning, and I'm glad we got to catch you, uh, and I hope you have a great success while you're here and get everything done you need to get done. Um, that's it for this week's Speakeasy team. Uh, thanks so much for Thank joining you. us, and uh, tune in next week. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>